0: This morning my sermon is on Zacchaeus, the wee little man, thing perhaps he is most remembered for in, in song by children, but maybe shouldn't be the thing he's most remembered for. Uh, but first, before we begin, let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. Thank you for the, the beautiful weather that you've blessed us with and uh, that we could be here today and on Zoom. And uh, thank you for your unchanging grace and that you, you have extended that to us. In your name, amen. That's this. Okay. Yeah, so like I said, uh, Zacchaeus, we're going to be talking about because Zacchaeus is one of the people in the Bible, one of the few that Jesus specifically calls out by name, just in continuation with your series. And to start, I figure let's just read the whole section. It's not a very long section, so we'll go through the whole thing. So now I want to go through sort of line by line, just in a little bit more detail about what's happening so we can understand the story better. So the first section, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So if you know really anything about the gospels, about the Bible, about Jesus's ministry, you probably know that tax collectors were not well liked tax collectors were not, it's not a privileged position in that society. Well, in terms of social capital, perhaps it was not a privileged position, but of course, Zacchaeus was rich. Tax collectors were actually quite well off, and Zacchaeus, being the chief tax collector, would have been probably the most well off. Additionally, the city of Jericho was a trade route, like a prominent trading city. So to be rich in Jericho was to be very rich. But like I said, not well liked, not rich in friends, most likely. And uh, Jesus has quite a bit to say about this in his own ministry, where he talks about tax collectors several times. And it is never positive. It is not a positive thing when you are compared to a tax collector. So uh, in a different place in Luke, it says two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So now in this story, of course, we know if you know this story that the tax collector actually ends up being the better person. The tax collector is the one who was humble before God instead of the Pharisee. But by way of example, it's like, well, the Pharisee and then the tax collector. It's not a positive example for the Pharisee. It's meant to show how this sort of their religiosity is flipped on its head. So even in this story where the tax collector is the better person, they are still the negative example. Similarly, in Matthew, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So this is talking about, you know, if there's if there's disagreements, if there's arguments, if there is sin in the church, um, you know, what to how to separate like what what should you do here? Uh, Well, treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. Not a good example. Not a good thing. And uh, just to really pile it on here, because I think even if you read this, and I, I would say this, even as we read this, we don't get the full picture. We don't live in that kind of society. We don't maybe enjoy paying taxes, but we don't hate the tax collectors in the way that they did. Um, so I have, a, I have this quote here from a, a non-biblical writer. They, the Romans, deliberately choose as tax collectors men who are absolutely ruthless and savage and give them the means of satisfying their greed. These people who are mischief makers by nature gain added immunity because of their superior orders, obsequious in everything where their masters are concerned, leave undone no cruelty of any kind, and recognize no equity or gentleness. As they collect the taxes, they spread confusion and chaos everywhere. They exact money not only from people's property, but also from their bodies by means of personal injuries, assault, and completely unheard of forms of torture. This adds another dimension. We can read the scripture and we can understand tax collectors are not well liked, but this adds a whole nother layer. This is what the people would have experienced in that day. This is the, when they look at Zacchaeus, this is what they see. Zacchaeus, the chief of these people. Tax collectors were universally reviled. So now I want to highlight again, this, this is not a, this is not a biblical text right here. This is just in, this is somebody else writing in general. This is not necessarily just the Jewish perspective. This is the perspective of people all over the place about Roman tax collectors. This is who they were, ruthless and savage, greedy people. So when we read this verse, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I don't think this was an accident. This is not, you know, the crowd doesn't see him, so they're, you know, he's just, he can't see Jesus. I think that in this moment, the crowd is living out this little act of rebellion that they can have against this man who has so much power and who makes their lives miserable. So they stand in the way. They don't move. Zacchaeus can't get them out of the way, and so they don't move. This is not an accident. So then we have Jesus. So he, now this is Zacchaeus. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So this is partially why I think this story begins with a description of Zacchaeus that includes that he was short of stature because he has to climb up into a tree. And in that position, There is no mistaking what is happening here, because Jesus, when walking by, has to look up and call out to Zacchaeus and say, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. If Zacchaeus was in the crowd, if Zacchaeus was in the front of the crowd, certainly some in the crowd would have noticed that Jesus was talking to Zacchaeus. But up in the tree, this goes far and wide. This is a very, very public declaration of a connection that he is forming with Zacchaeus. That connection being... I must stay at your house today. There was no mistaking this. This is a very public thing that Jesus is doing. And the crowd has a reaction. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So again, I think we can have this sort of view of scripture. Where it's like, okay, sinner, tax collector, not well liked, but, Remember what, the, what is said about tax collectors, ruthless, brutal, greedy people. So when they say sinner, that's who they're talking about. He's gone into the house to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, why is this so significant? Well, hospitality was a very important virtue in their culture. We see this all over the Bible. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, a, a version of that story is just the lack of hospitality brings a tremendous judgment. Hospitality is very important in the Bible. Now, this is another non-biblical text just to illuminate this. Food, articulated in terms of who eats with who eats what, with whom, under which circumstances, had long been one of the most important languages in which Jews conceived and conducted social relations among human beings and between human beings and God. Food was a way of talking about the law and lawlessness. So Jewish people would not eat with Gentiles, because they are outside the law. We are the law. We have the law. They are outside the law. We will not eat with them. That is a form of connection that they would not make. They would specifically not connect in that way. Another way of putting it from the same paper, likes eat with likes. The Jewish people ate with themselves and did not include Gentiles in that. Likes eat with likes. So when you have Jesus saying, I'm going to go to your house. I mean, going to someone's house, hospitality 101 is you share a meal in that time period. So by Jesus saying, I am going to your house. He is forging a connection with this sinner. He is forging a connection with Zacchaeus. And so you can understand how the crowd reacts because to share this meal is to share a bond. This religious preacher, this, person that people are looking up to for some sort of moral guidance is creating a bond, is, is is forging a connection with a sinner. This is not done. This is not done. So what is Zacchaeus's reaction? So I will say, I think that there is some time delay in here. There is something that is not said. There's something that is not written. I don't believe that Zacchaeus is tumbling out of the tree and selling everything he owns as he's doing so. Um, But it says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. It's a total transformation. Zacchaeus has been completely transformed. He has gone from a greedy, selfish, brutal man to restoring everything. And he goes beyond what is normally required here. I mean, he restores everything fourfold. So now in Leviticus, there are many different ways of restoration that can happen. And sort of depending on the type of crime, depending on the type of uh, violence or robbery that is committed, the restoration can take uh, many different forms. So sometimes it's as little as a fifth extra. Sometimes it is many as five times extra. So I don't have the exact tracing of what's going on here, but, you know, he is restoring things according to the law. So he is paying back and then paying restitution on top of that, which is as appropriate. But additionally, he gives half of everything he owns to the poor. So half of all his goods he gives to the poor. And this is very significant, I think. If you read through the Gospels, if you read through the Bible as a whole, You get a very interesting picture of how God feels about the poor. And this is the evidence of the work of Christ. This is the evidence of God's change in his life, of how Zacchaeus has changed. So we're going to head back in Luke to Luke chapter 7. So this is about, uh, this section of Luke is about uh, John the Baptist's disciples coming to Jesus and saying, are you the one? Are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? John is in a bad place and he needs to know. He's having a hard time and he really needs to know. Is the hard time I'm having, is it actually worth it? Are you really the one? Have I sold myself out for the right person? And so right before this verse, it says that Jesus goes out and he performs a bunch of miracles. He heals a bunch of people. And then he answered them, John the Baptist's disciples, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. When somebody asks Jesus, are you who you say you are? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? He says, look at my supernatural power in these miracles. Look at my supernatural character in caring about the poor. That's, that's, that's kind of an incredible thing to me. That that's what Jesus holds up as an example of, how do you know who I am? I do miracles, and I care about the poor. And that, that strikes me as such a low bar. Like, that, that's, that's something that we should all just be doing. And yet, God says, this is actually pretty divine. To care about the poor, that's divine. So we can relate this to the story of Zacchaeus, where he goes from a vicious, brutal man to actually caring about the poor, that is God's work. To actually care about the poor is God's work. Caring for the poor is central to God's character. So full disclosure, I actually pulled that little section from a sermon I did a couple of weeks ago on Amos. And Amos is all about that. So we see this throughout the entirety of scripture. That's where I pulled the idea that it is central to God's character. Not just from this one verse, but if you read the prophets, just Pick one, and you'll see God cares about the poor. It is central to his character. So then we have one more thing from Jesus in this story. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. A Nice little purpose right there that we can see for God. A nice a nice little thing that Jesus says, like, well, this is what I came to do. It's sort of an immediate way that we can challenge ourselves, an immediate way that we can think like, okay, so here, here is a lesson to learn from Zacchaeus. So, but the first thing I would say, even before that is, Zacchaeus, like he creates another bond with Zacchaeus, that he is family. He is a son of Abraham. Not only have I gone to eat at this man's house, which on its own is already a claim there, right? He is creating a bond with this person to say, you know, we are similar here. And Jesus, of course, was Jewish. But he's reminding the crowd that, you know, since he is also a son of Abraham, remember, he is also a son of Abraham. He is one of us you should not exclude him so he is one of us he is family and then similarly like i said he is explicit in his purpose that jesus came to seek and to save the lost so that is something that we should also do i mean we've already sung and spoken a little bit about that we should you know we want to be more like jesus and here jesus lays out his purpose very clearly that the son of man came to seek and to save the lost so we should be seeking unity, and we should be seeking to save. And of course, we should be seeking, period. This is not something that happens passively. So those are all some little lessons that we can get out of the story of Zacchaeus. And I think they are all worth like going into even more, I would say. Um, but I'm not going to do that here, because I think there's actually a far more challenging thing in the story of Zacchaeus than what is here. So This idea of like, well, remember that we are, you know, we have unity here and we should seek and save the lost. I think the real challenge that comes out of Zacchaeus, out of reading this story, is realizing who Zacchaeus was. And so I'm just going to reread that that passage that I had before, that that section. The Romans deliberately choose as tax collectors men who are absolutely ruthless and savage and give them the means of satisfying their greed. These people who are mischief makers by nature gain added immunity because of their superior orders, obsequious in everything where their masters are concerned, leave undone, no cruelty of any kind and recognize no equity or gentleness. As they collect the taxes, they spread confusion and chaos everywhere. They exact money, not only from people's property, but from their bodies by means of personal injuries, assault, and completely unheard of forms of torture. That's Zacchaeus. Not only that, but like I said, he is the chief of these people. And you don't become the chief of men who are absolutely ruthless and savage, as it says here, by being nice. To be the chief of tax collectors was to be, like as Paul says, the chief sinner. This was not a good person. Zacchaeus was an evil, evil man. Like if he did half of the things described here, he was not a good person. He was an evil man. And I think that sometimes we get a, a sort of sterile view of the Bible. Another example of, of that sort of like like we're distant from it. We don't necessarily understand this, but I think it's very important to understand the context in which Jesus is actually speaking. because from that context we can understand that what do we actually need to do today, which I'm you know going to get to. but first, I want to point out that based on this, based on who Zacchaeus really was, being the chief tax collector, being the chief of an absolutely ruthless and savage group of people, a brutal, brutal group of people, with all of that in mind, suddenly the crowd's actions become very understandable. When they refused to part for Zacchaeus, I, I've seen certainly uh, handouts in Sunday school. I've definitely read these where, you know, Zacchaeus is kind of the victim. There's these big, tall people, and they're, they're walking around preventing Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. And Zacchaeus just wants to see Jesus. And he's very, you know, he's this, he's this little guy, and he's very sad. And, you know, we, can, we, can, we see that perspective. But I don't think that's really accurate to what, who this guy was. Zacchaeus was not a victim. Zacchaeus was an oppressor. And so from a certain perspective, I would say that the crowd was right to be shocked at what is happening to first prevent Zacchaeus from coming to to ignoring Zacchaeus saying like, yeah, we're not going to help you see Jesus. We don't, we don't like you. You are an evil man, not just because we don't like you, but because you are an evil man, we're not going to let you get close. Zacchaeus was, an oppressor. And I think that is an important word to use today to describe him, because that's who he was, chief tax collector, chief oppressor. That was Zacchaeus. Not a victim, but the person who creates victims, the person who victimizes. That was Jesus. Uh, Sorry, that was Zacchaeus, not Jesus. so when it makes perfect sense to me now to 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 see the crowd's reaction, this is not this is not some simple like judgment thing where they are overly harshly judging somebody and you know why would Jesus go and visit a prostitute? Why would he why would he allow this to happen? That kind of thing. No, this is he's an oppressor, and so the real challenge that we face is that the lost that Jesus seeks to save are not just the oppressed, but the oppressors as well. And I have to tell you coming from the book of Amos and like studying that quite a bit to coming and studying this, this story of Zacchaeus, the whiplash is intense, like reading about how much God cares about the oppressed, about the poor, about those who are trampled underfoot to the point where in Amos, the description is uh, uh, Israel has has built a wall that is crooked. Their nation is a crooked nation and God will break down the entire wall to rebuild it because of how they treat the poor. That's how much God cares. He cares so much about the poor. And then to come from that to Zacchaeus, the person who is actually doing the oppressing, and for the lesson of Jesus to be, I'm actually going there. I'm going to forge a bond with the oppressor. That's, that's pretty intense. But it is still an extension of God's character. This is, this is not God turning over a new leaf. This is God extending his grace even further than perhaps we could think, you know, it makes sense to us. I would say that, you know, we're not like, like this is, I'm not going to deliver the whole Amos sermon here. Don't worry about that. But it makes sense to think of in terms of like, well, we don't care enough about the poor. You know, we don't care as much God as God does. And I can see I need to do that. That. That I can understand. But then to come around and say, I also care about the oppressor, that's where Jesus starts to lose me a little bit. I think that's where Jesus kind of loses the crowd here. They're shocked. What is happening? What is Jesus doing? But Zacchaeus needs Jesus too. Zacchaeus needs him too, just as much as anybody else. And then the oppressor is transformed. This is not something that is left. Just as Jesus visiting the oppressor, sort of as a, a, a show of goodwill or as a way to gain anything, the oppressor actually reacts here and is transformed. So I want to be clear why Jesus does this and why he does not do this, right? Jesus does not condone Zacchaeus' behavior, he does not take a judgmental position, though, either. He doesn't say that Zacchaeus is fine. He doesn't, well, rather, he doesn't say that Zacchaeus, what you're doing is good. I like how you collect these taxes. I am I just love to watch you work, Zacchaeus. He is not saying that, certainly. I think that is evidenced by the fact that Zacchaeus transforms. He changes how he is after meeting Jesus. But he also doesn't take a judgmental position on him either. He does go to his house. He does enjoy his hospitality. And we can see elsewhere in scripture where Jesus does take a judgmental position against the Pharisees. He has lots of words to say about the Pharisees. He has lots of very negative things, vipers, you know, whitewashed tombs. He can take a judgmental position, but he doesn't hear. He doesn't do that with Zacchaeus, but he doesn't condone. I want to make that clear. Similarly, Jesus does not meet Zacchaeus for his own gain. Jesus doesn't get anything out of this. He doesn't meet him for wealth, for prestige, for political power, which is something that he could have gotten from Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was probably the most powerful man in the city, being the chief tax collector in a trade city. He might have been the most powerful person there. But Jesus doesn't get any of that from him. Jesus doesn't change who he is. He doesn't align himself with Zacchaeus for wealth, for prestige, for political power. And this is where I could see sort of a modern context of like the twisting of this principle where it's like, well, you know, this person isn't a good person, but I should be like Jesus and meet with him anyway. And I mean, it doesn't hurt that, you know, they're willing to, you know, give me wealth or prestige or political power or whatever. You know, I'll just do what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus did not meet for any of those material things. In fact, the reason he meets him to seek him out and to save him is because he loves him, which is a deeply challenging thing to think about, that Jesus loves the oppressor as well as the oppressed. And he does end Zacchaeus' oppression. Jesus does continue God's work of destroying oppression because Zacchaeus, at the end of it, he gives away half of everything he has and he repays it all. And I have to believe that he went forward if he continued being a tax collector, that he did it fairly, that he did it in a way that would honor God. So this is how Jesus approaches this situation. You know, he doesn't condone, but he doesn't judge either. He doesn't meet him for his own gain. He seeks him out for Zacchaeus's gain because he loves him. And he does end the oppression. He does bring justice. Justice and mercy here, and I have to say, I reading this, and I think the the crowd needs to understand this too. That when when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus, it's symbolic of how Jesus approaches us as well. Like similar to the story of the Pharisee and Zacchaeus, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, where it's like, oh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, but the Pharisee is actually the one you know who is elevated here. We can see ourselves in Zacchaeus. We are the enemies of God. And we certainly oppress other people. You know, we, we, we bring about harm in the world. We, we do all kinds of things personally. That just happens. That's, that's living in a sinful world for you. You know, we are all touched by it. And yet Jesus does still reach out to us. So perhaps we should not be so quick to judge Zacchaeus. And I want to, I want to say that in our pursuit of justice, which is so important, absolutely critically important because Again, like, look at the book of Amos, look at any of the prophets. Justice is very, very high on God's list of priorities. Like, he wants us to bring justice. He wants us to participate in that work. But we shouldn't forget how God sees the oppressor. And that he loves the oppressor, too. And that the oppressor also needs Jesus. So, what is the challenge, really, here? well, we live in a divided world. I think that nobody can argue that. There are all kinds of divisions. And studies have shown that like divisions are greater than they used to be. Personally, I would blame social media for that, but that's just, that's not, that's just, I, I shouldn't say that at the pulpit, but you know, here we are. Um, it, it, the world is more divided than ever. Economic lines, social lines, moral lines, political lines. There are all kinds of lines that we draw. And some of them we draw for bad reasons. I would say economic lines are a bad reason to draw things. Like we hear about that. We, Jesus, Paul, they, they all talk about um, you know not drawing these economic lines between rich and poor. Like all are welcome before God. The more challenging lines that we draw are these moral lines. Like the like the people that drew the people that drew lines between themselves and Zacchaeus and said we are not crossing this line. But You know, well, let me continue asking that question. Like, who do I separate myself for a good reason? The people, I would argue, had good reason to separate themselves from Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an evil man, he was not a good person. We see evidence of transformation in the story. Even before he like truly meets Jesus, we see you know his seeking and his joy at receiving Jesus, but that does not erase how he became a rich man, how he became the chief tax collector. So the crowd has good reason, honestly. They have good reason to separate themselves. So I have to ask myself, who do I have good reason to separate myself from? Who am I drawing a moral line where I'm saying, I'm not going to them. They're bad people. Jesus crosses that divide. And thank God he does, right? Because if he didn't, I would not be saved, but Jesus crosses those moral lines. He crosses the economic lines, the social lines, political lines, and these moral lines that we draw where we will not associate with people because of their, because of who they are, because of their morals, because we disagree, but Jesus crosses that divide. And I truly believe that Jesus is the solution to this divided world. If we follow his example, if we strive to be more like Jesus in this way, then we can actually bring God to more people. We can build to a better world here, because Jesus crosses that divide. So to wrap up, we all have to ask this question. And I like to say, uh, our you know sermons are not meant for other people. Sermons are meant for the people in the building, and of course, on Zoom. So we shouldn't be thinking, well, those people need to hear this message. They need to think about who they should, you know reach out to. It's me. It is I who need to think about who I need to reach out to. If you're thinking, if you have thought, and I have thought this, I mean, as I speak, I think these things like, oh, those people need to hear this message. I am thinking incorrectly. Who is my Zacchaeus? Who are the people that I draw a line and say, I don't think so. Who would I be scandalized by hearing Jesus went to visit? like, I cannot imagine Jesus going and seeing these people. That's the challenge. Who 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 is my Zacchaeus? So I hope that as we all think about this, as we mold this over, we can identify some people and then engage in God's work and actually pursue, you know, what God has done and participate in the great work that God does and cross these barriers, cross these these divides that we've created between ourselves and other people, because God loves everybody. He loves me. He loves the weak and he loves the strong and he loves the oppressor and they need God too. And that is, that is part of our work here. So who is my Zacchaeus? Who is your Zacchaeus? Who is our Zacchaeus as a church, you know, as a body of Christ, who do we need to reach out to, to cross that divide for all right, let's pray. God, thank you again for who you are and for what you have done and that you have reached out and crossed the divide for us, that you you love us unconditionally and that you have, you have come to seek out us, to seek and save the lost and help us to, to see you and to participate and to follow you in that work because it, it is a challenge, Lord. You have challenged us and I, I pray that we can we can meet this and we can participate in your, your glorious work. Help us to be blessed and to be a blessing as we go out into this week. In your name, amen.